This is the Hack the Future podcast, the human stories behind courage, purpose, and imagination. Join your host, Terrence Mowry, who will guide you on the journey of reimagining the world as we know it. Do you know who you are? Do you know what you want? Are you in control of your life? Today, I'm thrilled to meet Anastina Hintzer, who is the CEO of Hintzer Performance. Hintzer is a world leader in high performance coaching and has worked with clients from Formula One champions to Fortune 500 CEOs. Anastina shares powerful lessons for how a better life leads to better performance and why it's all about optimizing, not maximizing. Anastina, great to meet you today. How's it going? Very good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No, welcome to the show. Let's jump right in. I'd love to hear more about your mission and this incredible founder story from the African Plains to Formula One paddocks. So, hence the performance mission is to help individuals in a better life and as a consequence perform better. Yes. in whatever it is that they do. And uh, you referenced to an incredible founder story. And mm. yeah, the, the company was actually founded by my father, Dr. Rockhans, yes. about 20 years ago. And uh, our roots go, we're a Finnish company, but our roots go back to Africa, where we used to live with our family in the 1990s. Incredible. Um, my father was a missionary doctor, uh, but he was also during our time there. I mean, he was also super, pa- always super passionate about sports. Yes, this and, is Dr. Uh, Aki Hintza. Correct, yes. Dr. Aki Hintza. And uh, yeah, so always passionate about sports. Uh, I think he's, his original goal was to become an ice hockey player <laughs> instead of a doctor. Amazing. But um that didn't quite turn out and instead he ended up helping a lot of athletes and really focusing on athlete well-being and performance yes and he um and during our time in Ethiopia, he got to work with um long distance runners um kind of unsurprisingly maybe mm-hmm. um with uh one in particular so highly good was one who who really inspired him to think about you know what's what's actually behind an athlete's success Yes. And he ended up developing this model of, you know, holistic health and well-being as a foundation for sustainable high performance. And so highly yes. really inspired him with that. And I, I love this term circle of life and the core. Yeah. Could you tell me a bit of a bit more about that? So so the model that he bought he devised was exactly as you said, the circle of better life is what he ended up calling it. It consists of if you imagine you're running through the circle mm-hmm. with six different elements on the average circle um, that are all interconnected. So your physical activity, sleep and recovery, nutrition, biomechanics, mental energy, and general health. And the idea is that you know we cannot just know look at maximizing one single element or area of our life Mm. we actually need to or our well-being we need to look at all of these elements together Mm. so our you know our sleep will have an impact on our physical activity our injury progress it will have an impact on our metabolism and our nutrition we're craving more sort of Mm. salty and sugary foods (laughs) when we're sleep deprived etc etc so you can't look at them in isolation you need to look at how they interact each other at all times and what he really learned from Haile was this idea of the core that you also mentioned. So yes. the core, how my father defined it, it consists of three different questions. So do you know who you are? Do you know what you want? And are you in control of your life? Mm, I love that. So really about that kind of 
really about your values, really about your strengths, really about who you are as a human being. Yes. What are the things that actually matter to you? And, you know, are you living your life mm-hmm. um, in accordance to your values? Um, and I think that's sort of like that, that idea of identity, purpose and control is it's a pretty powerful one. And that's sort of where we believe that everything starts from. It's 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 an incredible founder story, and uh, sort of if we fast forward to today, it seems like the last year has been like a Category Five typhoon. And I know from speaking to different executives and just you know friends and family, we're suffering. Many people are suffering from Zoom fatigue, uh, yeah. meetings fatigue, email fatigue, pandemic fatigue. I wanted to get a sense of: Do you have any kind of practical tips, takeaways for our listeners? who may be suffering from, you know, what uh, MIT entre- MIT thinker calls hyperactive uh, minds and uh, the Japanese call karoshi, death at our desk from stress. Any sort of practical yeah. takeaways to sort of manage our well-being and stress levels under an incredible sort of turbulent year? So I think impossible to give you like a silver bullet for this one, but I think the, the what you're describing is first of all uh you know we see it everywhere right now and i think we have all we would be i would be lying if i said that i had an experience with myself this year i mean this year has been past year has been tiring and it's sort of this accumulation of little things too like it's we we, at, we entered the year and, and what we saw was kind of like um there was even a little bit of a boost like an adrenaline rush uh, where we it's like it's an excitement, an excitement of, okay, this is yeah, new and different. Exactly. We got together. How do we do this? How do we work this out? Uh, we saw engagement levels rise across organizations. People were really pulling pulling together. And <laughs> we realized that, wow, this just keeps them going. Uh, that has turned into into fatigue, as you said. Yes. Um, we, we see like nearly 60% of leaders are reporting um, that they feel used up at the end of the workday. Uh, which is actually a strong indicator of burnout, mm. which for me is super worrying. Mm. Um, so it's it's as, as leaders, we're definitely not immune to this. And I think yes. one of the most sort of, in addition to kind of the founder story of African planes and long distance runners, mm. you mentioned Formula One, and, and we've been working with Formula One drivers pretty successfully since 1998. I saw um, that Sebastian Vettel, Mika Hakkinen, Lewis yeah. Hamilton. Correct, correct. Um, we got, uh, just to give you a few stats, so 15, 15 World Driver Championships to date and uh, 9 to 6% of podium places in the last seven seasons. So it's been like a pretty great test laboratory for us in terms of like, what does it take to perform sustainably at a high level? Not just sort of like year after year, but really day after day, weekend after weekend. How do you, how do you make that all work when you combine it well, in their case, with crazy travel, multiple stakeholders, um, et cetera, et cetera, fans and candidates, Formula One is like entertainment and business in addition to being a sport. Yes. So a lot of the things that they're going through are actually pretty applicable to executives, to leaders, to high performers in different fields. Yes. And I think this year, sorry for a kind of long answer, but no, this year I think the most powerful analogy for me has been this idea of supercompensation. I don't know if you're familiar with the term, but yes. in, when an that. athlete trains, what, what actually, well, an athlete, when we train, what actually happens is that we break muscle tissue. 
and we go kind of below our baseline, starting baseline. Hmm. And it's only in recovery that we start building new muscle tissue and we actually end up above that starting baseline. And that difference is called supercompensation. And it's so, so supercompensation. Supercompensation. And the idea there, the key takeaway there is that the, the supercompensation, the growth only happens in recovery. Yes. When you recover. And if we don't get enough of that recovery, what actually happens when we're stressed mm. or when we stress ourselves, when we, you know, when we are in that in that moment of, you know, high performance, mm. what happens is that we we actually if we don't get sufficient recovery, we actually end up in a declining trend. So we never recover to our starting baseline. We stress out again mm. and we sort of it becomes of a negative spiral as if you will. So it's, I think if there's one sort of like key yes. learning from sport for this year, it's let's really pay, be mindful and pay attention mm. on recovery yes. on a daily basis, you know, micro, micro breaks, yes. like really, you know, even just, you know, take 20 seconds to stare out of your window instead of staring at your screen, take a five minute break every hour, just walk around a little bit. Don't, don't look at your phone and feel those breaks with pseudo work, but, you know, actually give your brain a rest on a daily basis and make sure that that happens always on a weekly basis. It's a key point, you know, get, get, you know, brain breaks and this word attention yeah. as well. I, I think such a key word at the moment. We hear a lot about this word, data is the new oil, but actually uh, I think yeah. attention is the new oil. And oh, do you have any insights on what's happening with people's attention spans in general and, and how to protect those attention spans? Um, yeah, leadership being obviously all about attention as well. Correct. And I think that's, uh, I mean, generally speaking, um, it's no news that we're set, seeing attention spans shorten. Yes. And, uh, and, and I think so we talk about um, kind of three different gears uh, for our attention, if you will. And, uh, you know, you have a high gear where you're actually focused, you pay attention, you get into, you know, that state of flow where you almost lose track of time. Mm -hmm. And then there is a middle gear. Yes. which is, you know, uh, not necessarily your most effective time, you're multitasking, jumping between different tasks. Mm -hmm. And then there's a low gear, which is really idle time for your brain. That's your rest. And what we see right now, a lot of times, is that we don't get enough of that rest, that idle time for our brain. Which is always on. Which is always on. People are actually struggling to switch off. Hence, they cannot get into that higher gear when they should. We cannot focus when we actually should be focusing. We cannot pay attention. Instead of like, you know, being on that Zoom call and listening in, we're multitasking and writing emails and replying text messages at the same time. And we get stuck in that middle gear, which is sort of, uh, which is not the place you want to be stuck in. So that's kind of like the dynamic that we're starting to see. And I think, again, I'm going back to that rest and breaks for your brain. And I'm really, again, like taking a learning from the athletes, thinking about how can we think this in terms of daily sort of micro breaks, you know, your micro cycle, your meso cycle, which is like your weekly. How do you make sure that during your weekday, you actually have days when you are giving yourself a proper rest when you're not checking in on your email? Yes. You know, weekends used to be there for a reason, but can we just take even, even Saturdays off or whatever it is? 
So um, what I'm hearing is just yeah. creating some real boundaries, actually, because I guess, right. especially, especially the last year, it's accelerated this blurring of, I, mean, I know myself, it's kind of like, I've just seemed to have one mode at the moment, which mm -hmm. is work mode. And it's just getting into different spaces and actually having, creating some buffers and boundaries. Correct. I mean, if we look at, if we look at kind of, you know, the person who seems to have like incredible self-control. Yes. You know, everyone, everyone knows that person who seems to have everything under control and all these boundaries set up and all that stuff. And in reality, what actually happens is that these individuals use their self-control the least. Mm -hmm. um, so instead they have created an environment that supports, you know, healthy habits. So creating sort of like physical boundaries, as you said, you know, yes. having having an office space or a place where you work systematically, you know, one place you, where you work from, and then you, you know, shut it off, like physically shut it off when you're done. Or having sort of temporal boundaries, like you agree to do something every day at, or, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. or whatever it is for you, you agree to have dinner with your family, you're yes. free to go for a run with your friend, whatever it is, creating kind of temporal and physical boundaries that help you to stick mm -hmm. to those uh so this, this is uh, this idea, I love this idea of different tempos and this idea of you know not just thinking fast, but also the power of thinking slow. Mm. And you know, and uh, you know, I've heard about this slow movement, and I wanted to ask you, sort of, to jump to a new theme, this mindset. Uh, you know, a couple mm. of, a couple of years ago, I was lucky enough to drive around a Formula One track. Actually, I didn't drive; I was a passenger, and I have to <laughs> yeah. confess, I was I was physically sick at the end of it because of I the g-forces. Did you actually drive? <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was, and it was just an incredible. I was in awe after yeah. because. I knew that it was difficult, but just the, the levels of focus, concentration over a sustained period of time and, you know, working with Mika Hakkinen and, and uh, Sebastian Vettel, for example, are there any kind of transferables to the world of business in terms of mind, you know, you know, mindset, focus, deep focus, cutting through the noise? Mm. So I think absolutely in terms of parallels, yes. I mean, like that is that is the ultimate test and focus, attention, reaction times. If you think about driving at that speed, and I don't know if you drive it, you were driving alone in that car, or if you had actually other cars on the track, which you need to take into account too. Yes. So well, what these drivers do is just incredible. Um, and, you know, depending on the race, you have like the physical sort of conditions are different. So drivers might lose up to like three kilos per race in, in, um, in fluids because it just gets so hot in that cockpit yes so it's just and it's, it's not claustrophobic probably position. feels a bit claustrophobic if you're not used to it yeah. Yeah. it's not the most it's not the most kind of comfortable it's actually kind of not the greatest greatest ergonomic position to be in either yes. but i i think um and, and in that that state being able to focus at that level um being able to kind of take in the input from your team constantly you know, what's going on in terms of race strategies, et cetera. It's, it's just, it, it's incredible. These guys are incredible athletes. How important is feedback, you know, like, you know this term yeah. radical candor and feedback and psychological safety? All of it, super important. If you look at the most successful teams in NF1, I think that's exactly what's what's going on. Um, and I think there is this, you know, for me, one of the, one of the, if you look at the most successful drivers, that, well, the drivers across the paddock, actually, I think there are a couple of things that you see that they do before the race and after the race, which kind of stuck with me when I yes. have been observing this. This is sort of the preparation before the race. Every driver has their kind of individual routine. Some like to, you know, be by themselves, listen to music, 
um, you know, prepare. They do so they get into the zone. Trails, get into the zone. Make sure that there are no distractions uh, before you actually get on the track. Um, you're not sort of like thinking about something that just happened uh, with your girlfriend or whatever it is. <laughs> sort of, it, you, you have to be 100% focused. You need to be 100% there. Yes. And then there is what I, what I really like about them is sort of like what they do after the race, irrespective of how it goes. You might win. Mm-hmm. You, you come in, you know, you get on the podium or or you, you, you know, lose or you didn't even make it to the end. Mm-hmm. And irrespective, they analyze and, and their immediate reaction like, is, is to kind of like get back with the team, analyze every single, you know, every single, right, every, yeah, every, incredible, every, every single detail. They remember every single turn. Hmm. Which is just imagine how many turns they make during during your so break. Physically it's remember just, all of the different turns. They they wow. physically remember all of it. So and you know what second lap, you know third turn, I was doing la la la, and I felt like you know uh, I felt like there was something with the left tire. Yes, it's just unbelievable. Um, their memory is is incredible, and I think it's sort of like if like you think about mindset, it is yes. that it is that. You know, they need to be able to talk about this and with the with the radical candor, with the feedback, mm. with their team. And and they really do go through it in a lot of detail to learn and to improve. It strikes me that what you know the sort of world of Formula One is uh, is is a great lab lab test in sustainable high performance. Under yes. extreme pressure, and I, I wonder, like you know, from your travels around the world and working with different types of organisations, um, you know, what what do you think are some of the biggest gaps or blind spots in different organisations from a performance so, angle? Mm, from a performance angle, I think there is this. I think the biggest kind of blind spot that we have across you know different high performance organisations or corporations is that. We kind of think of well-being and performance as mutually exclusive. Yes. Um, instead of well-being being a foundation for that sustainable high performance. Mm. So, so we have this idea of like you know, uh, you know, we work really, really hard, and then uh, we will, you know, then I'm entitled to, you know, to look after myself. Yes. Or I, I'll take time for myself and my family once I retire, mm. or whatever. It's deferred. Exactly. We, we keep on pushing out, pushing it out, We're not looking. We think that, you know, I'm okay with, we, we start sort of compromising our sleep. We start compromising our own well-being. We start compromising those breaks. We start compromising even things like, you know, spending time with our families or, or are doing things that give us energy, like our hobbies and stuff. Because, mm. and then we think that that doesn't affect our performance, but it actually does. I mean, there's so much research and I love that we're talking about this right now, but yes. You know, for instance, around impact of sleep and sleep yes. deprivation, the cumulative impact of sleep deprivation on your um, on your cognitive performance. Uh, I mean, we know that you know uh, sleeping six hours per night for two weeks in a row actually actually means that your performance has declined equivalent to staying up for two nights. Gosh, which is insane. And then when we tell this to people, their immediate reaction is like. Yeah, but you know what? I've been doing that for like the past 20 years and it doesn't affect me. <laughs> and the, the other thing that they found, and this, this was a seminal study that by um, Van Dogen and Allen, mm-hmm. uh, early 2000s. And what they actually found in the same study was that the same people who did that, so sleeping two, six hours per night for two weeks in a row and their performance declined, um, after just two days, 
um, their, self, their self-rated performance actually started to plateau. So the first couple of days, they noticed that I'm not maybe thinking as, you know, as clearly as I usually be. I'm not making the decisions as, as quickly or as, as well as I could be. Um, but after just two days, they got used to it. They get used to performing suboptimally. And I think that's what's happening to all of us. We're getting used to performing at a suboptimal level compared to our full potential. It's inc- I mean, it's incredible, and it segues really well into our into our sort of final five minutes. I wanted to ask you about this principle of optimizing versus maximizing. So that's that's one of our core principles, really. I mean, a lot of times we live our life in a way where we try and kind of maximize every single area of our lives. We have, I mean, for an executive, it's not just your work. We have a life outside work and we have sort of, and and oftentimes what we see is that we try and maximize every single area of our lives. You know, we, we excel, we have super demanding jobs and then we go back home and we want to be the best parents and, you know, partners uh, that we can be. And then we have all these kind of hobbies you know, we're, we're doing triathlons and, and, and marathons and ultra marathons and, and whatever um, golf, CrossFit, you name it. Mm. Um, and, and we just try to kind of combine that with, you know, travel once, when, whenever it opens up again. Yes. It's, it's just an unsustainable equation. Mm. So what we really try to um, encourage everyone to do is to, first of all, ask yourself the question, what are you optimizing for? Yes. You know, what are the important things in your, what are the things in your life that really matter to you? What are the things that you don't want to compromise? And then, you know, then it really is about optimizing against those um, as opposed to trying to maximize every single area in your life. And, and yeah, and following on from that, um, explain lifespan versus health span. Ah, beautiful. <laughs> so we know that our lifespan is increasing unfortunately our health span hasn't increased at the same rate so really health span is taking the longer term perspective you know how do you want to feel how do you want to perform what do you want your life to look like you know when you are 70 80 90 years old i mean we are living kids kids are born right now are likely to live over 100 years 100 year life yes exactly 100 year lifespan so what do you want to be able to do what do you want your 90 year old self to be able to do physically mentally um you know what are the relationships that you want to uphold Hmm. and and what does that mean for you today i think that's the question that we should be again asking ourselves because the decisions that we make today they have very long-term consequences on the other hand it's never too late to start kind of working on those little things i mean ultimately this really it's it's not rocket science it's about you know micro habits uh micro actions uh small things small decisions that we make in everyday life how do you see hints are evolving over the next 18 months in terms of it you know it's it's mission and ultimately what does a, a great legacy look like for you so our, our mission, obviously, roots coming from sports, roots coming from high performance, but our mission really is to, you know, help individuals live a better life and as a consequence perform better and, you know, ultimately reach as many people as possible. So mm-hmm. our majority of our clients are actually large organizations, corporations, um, you know, tens of thousands of people, organizations with tens of thousands of people across the globe. Yes. And uh, what we want to really do is, not just help leaders, um, you know, think about their own well-being and health, 
but help them think about how do how can they incorporate this? How can they incorporate well-being and sustainable high performance as a part of their organizational culture and strategy? Beyond uh, what I say, beyond the buzzword, because I think one of my frustrations is, oh yeah, you know, these words become buzzwords so quickly, and it almost seems as if oh, yeah. the more leaders say them, the more they think that it's now a, a strength or a competence, and yeah. there's a real danger of that. There is a real danger of that. It's like, but it, this is not, you know, this is about walking the talk. Yes. And and really kind of making it, making it, what does it mean for your, what does this actually mean in terms of leadership? What does this mean in terms of your culture? What does this mean in terms of your kind of the behaviors uh, in your organization? And how do you create an environment that supports individual well-being? I think those are kind of the questions that we need to ask. Because yes. we know that these different kind of drivers Again, they impact each other. We cannot look at individual well-being in isolation. We need to look at it in the, co- it in the context of an organization. Mm. And we know that all those kind of different things, leadership, culture, employee orientations, behaviors, well-being, mm. together impact the outcomes like you know, motivation, uh, thriving, engagement, learning, yes. burnout risk, or, or things like absenteeism and uh, turnover orientation. Yes. If there was a next step action today for our listeners, whether it's completing the circle of life assessment or jumping onto a webinar or, or you know, inquiring about some coaching, what, what would be some specific steps for our listeners if they were interested in, uh, in, um, you know, in partnering with Hinsa? So that, that's, that's a really simple <laughs> step to take, actually. Like, you know, start with yourself and, yeah. and do that kind of quick assessment of, now, where am I in terms of these different elements of my personal well-being? Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, from there, thinking about like, hey, how, how could I actually take this to my organization? And, and if there's one thing that I would actually recommend for all leaders to do is, is really to think about, like right now in this pandemic, to really think about like, how can I incorporate more of those breaks yes. at rest time for my brain into my day? You know, what are the temporal, physical boundaries that I need to put in place? that it's not a decision I need to make it's something that I just do Fantastic. I loved your messages today around optimizing versus maximizing and health spans and lifespans and also those those incredible catalytic questions. Do you know who you are? Do you know what you want? And are you in control of your life? Uh, Anastina Hintza, CEO of Hintza Performance. Thank you so much. Thank you, Hans. It was great to be here. From the African plains to the Formula One paddocks and the highest levels of business, this was a fascinating story of a leader on a mission to help people unlock a life of meaning and sustainable high performance. What I learned is that in today's fast-paced and hyper-connected world, being engaged, motivated and mentally and physically fit is not a nice-to-have, it's a must-have. As somebody once said, excellence is not a skill, It's an attitude.